You're listening to We, we, we the Aether Podcast, within and without. Welcome. Paul, thank you for taking the time today to have this conversation. Uh, I'm really excited for it. I'm, I'm a big fan of your work and, and everything you've done, all the books you've published. And I really love the audio book and the fact that you, the audio recordings on them as well is, is really nice and unique. And I think you bring a very, uh, really nice aspect to your work when you do the, the audio recordings as well with it. Um, just to kick things off, do you mind just introducing yourself and, and what it is you're involved with so people that aren't familiar with who you have to speak? Sure. I'm, I'm Paul Selig. I, I work as a conscious channel. I, I take dictation from these guides that work with me and the unedited transcripts of their lectures, which are often done live, and now they're all done live, the books, um, are, are become the books that are, are published. So the guides have dictated now eight books through me, seven are in print. The eighth is coming out in August. Um, and they're all on the evolution of consciousness, really, you know, personal and planetary consciousness. Um, I work as a, a psychic as well, but I work a bit differently than other people. They call me a medium for the living, so I don't contact people's dead relatives. But if you're estranged from your parents, I might be able to tune into your parents and they start to look like them and can hear what's going on so people describe me as a radio when i'm channeling i'm hearing the guides i'm playing that station when i work psychically i'm tuning into whoever's asking me the question or the people that they're asking about um and i used to be a college teacher that's what i did for 25 years so i wasn't known for this work until the book started coming out in about 2010. Okay. And what initially sparked your interest to pursue this work sort of step back and step away from well, I mean, it, it was a real passage, I have to say. Nothing sparked my interest. I was sort of raised mm -hmm. in atheist. I wasn't woo-woo in the least, and um, I don't think I even really believed in channeling. I still hold some skepticism for a fair amount of stuff that, you know, is out there. I was 25. I was a year out of graduate school at Yale. I had a list of things I thought I had to have achieved in the world that would make me okay. I got the whole list. It was a flashy list. I wasn't okay at all. And out of, you know, really sheer necessity, I began to look for something more. That was really what happened. I started praying for the first time in my life. And I actually heard a voice telling me to get my act together. And I actually listened to it. And that was the beginning of a process that's continued. So I'm in my late 50s now, and then I was 25. So I opened up psychically a little bit that year. I heard there was this thing happening called the harmonic convergence, that people were going to be waking up. I thought, well, if there is a God and you want to wake up, why would it want to say no? You know. So I went up to my roof and I asked. And I had something of an experience of energy that I may never understand. I may have been hyperventilating, or as people tell me, it sounded like I had a spontaneous Kundalini awakening. It was an experience of energy moving through my body. And after that, I started seeing little lights around people, or at the same time, I don't know how connected the events were. But I studied a form of energy healing after a couple of years of seeing somebody because I needed some kind of context for what I was beginning to experience. And when I found I, that I had my hands on people, I could hear things for them. And that was the beginning of clairaudience. Um, I had a group that met in my apartment for 18 years. Um, people would come in, put 10 bucks in a basket. I would sit in the energy and I began channeling there very reluctantly. I just wanted to sit in the energy with other people because the energy was so palpable. But there was information that began to come through. And as I continued to work, I think the skill set was refined and they were able to clear me out enough to sort of work as a, a better channel, for lack of a better word, with less obstruction. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't one thing, it was a series of things and I think it still continues to this day. It wasn't that I was interested in it, in fact, I wasn't. Okay. Now, do you find that it's something that continues to be refined as time goes on, your ability to tune in and everything? Yeah, all of it, you know, all of it continues to change. I mean, I have this odd way of, of receiving transmission. I whisper the words, I repeat them. I, every, everything is said twice, it drives people crazy. It's horrible to watch, you know, it's not very graceful. I don't mind it, I'm used to it. It's almost comforting to me because of 
the sameness. It's like reading fortune cookies, you know, one after the other, after the other, after the other, because I hear in phrases, and I don't know what the larger thought is, or the chapter is, or the lecture will be about until it's being delivered. So, you know, there are times recently where they're working very directly through me without the repetition. It doesn't always happen. And when it does happen, I'm surprised and I don't remember it, which is problematic for me because I like to be able to inquire to the teaching if I'm confused by it, if it doesn't make sense to me, if I have, you know, questions about their logic. I've been known to interrupt and ask. But the refinement continues because they continue to bring through energy as they work and the energies that they bring through accelerate. There's a real system that they seem to be bringing through towards embodiment. I mean, all I know is what they say through me and I know what it feels like when they do it and they're doing this in groups. I mean, sometimes there's a couple other people in the room and we're all feeling the energy and the escalation of it. And that's very exciting um, to feel. Um, but my abilities seem to have to work towards this end. You know, I'm, I'm in some ways the conduit for this and they continue to move out the stuff that I hold that's obstructive. And I'm sure there's a whole lot of it, you know, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of worry, there's a lot of old stuff that continues to be addressed as I continue to do this work. And I suspect it comes up in order to support the work that they want to bring through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was wondering about that. If, if you find that there's been an evolution in your own personality throughout the process as well, or if it's uh, more and more so a losing of the personality is the process. I don't think the personality is lost. I think what begins to happen is a kind of knowing settles in. And it's not the knowing of the personality. The personality, as far as I understand it, through the guides that come through and teach, the personality knows itself through historical data. You know, mm -hmm. that all it has to go by. And its intent is to replicate the idea of what it is or who it is at the cost of anything else, you know, which is, you can call it the egoic structure. We all have one. But I suspect it's about a level of identification, you know, who shows up and who shows up at what level and with what agenda. So, you know, I mean, how I've transitioned through this, and so I'm a very shy person, personally. I'm not very public. I don't love being public. I do show up for this work. Um, you know, and I have to contend with a fair amount of my own stuff as I do that. Um, which isn't necessarily terribly comfortable for me at a personality level. But I'm, my life is completely different. I mean, that much I can say. You know, some of my old worries are still there and still, you know, blaring their trumpets. And I suspect that that's there so that I can work with it and move beyond it. You know, I don't think, I think everything is an opportunity to learn because that's what the guides teach through me. High, low, and in between, it's all opportunity. But the biggest thing that I heard when I was about 30, maybe 31, 32, and I was, I was opening up channeling at the first time, maybe 33 it would have been, and I was having a rough time. And I'm, I always say I'm 99% sure that I heard this in channel because I wrote it down on a piece of paper. But what the phrase was, was freedom will come when the throne relinquishes its king. And that, I understand, I think, is the essence of the teaching, which is who sits in the throne. You know, is it the personality self who wants things the way he was taught to expect them, who wants to be seen in the ways that he demands, who wants what he wants when he wants it? Or is it the true self who knows, who has the capacity to, to witness the inherent divine that they say must exist in all things or can't be anywhere at all? because they say that God, or whatever you want to call God, is, is the infrastructure that informs all reality. So it's present, but often unseen, you know, denied. Now, the, the true self, do you find that there's a lot of distraction in our society that's taking people away from really surrendering to that self, that true self that's natural and inherent within all of them? And, and is this pure, loving, compassionate, altruistic energy, really? Mm -hmm. A lot of people are very resistant or hesitant to be embraced by that love and that compassion. 
yeah. you know, what could be causing that? Well, we're not, we're told we're unworthy of it. First off, we're told that it doesn't exist, or if it does exist, it's up there in a cloud and we get to meet it when we drop dead, you know? Um, and there's an enormous amount of fear that we've been indoctrinated into. I mean, I think so much so that we don't even, we're not even aware of it, you know? Mm. It's become very normalized, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the guy that's just, I, I was lecturing, I don't know where it was, maybe San Diego someplace last week, and the guide said something like, you know, imagine that you're on a highway and you're following all these signs, but all these signs are telling you what to be afraid of, who to be afraid of, why you shouldn't care about your neighbor, you know, why you should condemn other people. I mean, the guides say very, very simply, what you damn and who you damn damns you back. You can't be the light and hold another in darkness. It's just not possible. It's hypocrisy. It's the hypocrisy of religion in many cases. You know, we're holy and they're not. The guides I work with say that the only real problem humanity faces now is the denial of the divine. That's it. It's saying that God isn't there, you know, because what that gets you is more darkness, you know. And the challenge seems to be to perceive the light or claim the light where the darkness seems to be operative, I have a hard time with it, but it's what they teach, and they teach how, you know, that gets done. So I think that in some ways, what we're being invited to is to stay afraid and to stay in condemnation of ourselves or our brothers, as the guides would say, um, at the cost of what else is there. I mean, the guides say that we're operating in a shared octave. That's what they call our reality. Sometimes, recently they call it a tapestry, which I actually was very helpful to me. They said the tapestry is woven through with the consciousness of the individuals and the collective. Everybody's contributing to this tapestry that we know as reality through consciousness. But the octave metaphor, they say it has high and low notes, you know, as every octave does. And we're, everything that we see is in agreement to that tonality of high and low. You know, we're, we're vibrational, tonal beings. We're expressing in tone and vibration. And we're in agreement, which means vibrational accord to all that we see. And they say that there's an octave above the one we've been operating in that does not operate in fear. And that the true self or the inherent divine in each of us operates from that place. And what their teachings seem to be doing is supporting us or teaching us how we can choose to align at that level and lift above those road signs that say fear, 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 in whatever iteration they have. Greed is fear. You know, vanity is fear. Shame is fear. I mean, war is fear. You know, denying your brother a coat when he's cold is fear. You know, you may think of it in any way you want, rationalize it in any way you want, but what else could it be? There won't mm -hmm. be enough for me if I give it to him, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's how I understand it, as best I understand it, but we have choice here. And the guides have said many times, too many times, that the action of fear is to claim more fear, and every choice you make in fear gets you more of the same. And I, I have to agree with that one. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, does you find that it takes a certain blind faith to really surrender that fear, even if it's so small, and no matter how much the ego justifies the necessity for that fear, it sometimes seems like it's a mountain you know, to climb. Yes. Just give it up. I, I, I'm with you. I don't, I'm, I'm not doing this perfectly. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it, but not perfectly. Um, yes, I think it is a challenge. And... You know, I mean, I, again, I don't know. I'm, I, they, I, they, I was on the road last week, so they did a whole bunch of lectures. And, you know, so I keep repeating the things that I just learned. But one of the metaphors that they used for this stuff is these old, I, I think they were called magic lanterns. There were these sort of circular things with cutouts, mm -hmm. a candle in the middle or a light bulb, and then you spin it and it sends mm -hmm. shadows all over the wall. And they said, well, that's how your fears work pretty much. Those little cutouts that you hold within you are projecting outward. And the, the opportunity then is to release the cutout so that what's obscuring the light from just being the light is seen for what it is. 
And um, do I think it's hard? Yes. Is it blind faith that's required? I actually get a shake my head, no. I think it's the ability to see that there is something else to be seen. Do you understand that? Yeah, yeah. Our focus is here on the frightening thing, but if we lift our vision beyond that, we can attend to what's at that level and not continue to bind ourselves to the lower. And this have to do with releasing an attachment to matter and physical form, physicality, and embracing the energetic aspect of our of our individual selves, our soul, our spirit, whatever you want to call it. I suspect it does. I don't know at what level. Now, I mean, the because the guides say everything that we know of as matter is energy anyway. You know, it's mm -hmm. all source just what they've said is there's one note being played in the whole universe there's one tone one sound and that one sound is in articulation in everything that we see or can imagine it's still the one thing and the metaphor that they've used that i like is you know the paint on a painting you know it's just paint and without the pigment and without the shapes that the paint is making on a canvas that says this is a tree, this is the ocean, and the narrative or meaning we endow the tree and the ocean with, it's just the paint. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. yeah. The remembrance of source, what is informing all things, seems to be a way that we can surmount that idea, you know, that matter isn't the God or of God, because the God say everything is, you know, I mean, Part of the problem they've said that we encounter is that we've been taught to believe that God is in the clouds and we're stuck in the mud. And they say, well, God is the mud too. And it's also your spinal cord and, you know, the mole on your back and, you know, your feet, you know, and it's the, the birth and the death and it's all things. That's what we exclude from that equation that we empower and create in darkness. That's my understanding. The guides say what you put in darkness calls you to that darkness. That's, again, done through co-resonance, not through any kind of intellectual choice. What you damn damns you back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the upper room that you describe in some of your book, is that akin to very much like what you had mentioned, the higher octave? Yeah, exactly. It's being operated from. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly what it is. Okay. At the end of the sixth book which was the, called the Book of Freedom, there was the claim of that book was, I am free, I am free, I am free. And they say that that's a claim that can only be made at the level of the divine self and be true because the true self, the divine as you, is free. It's not operating in fear. It's not bound by time. The true self expresses in the eternal now, you know, always, ever. And at the end of that book, they invited the reader to come across a threshold. And they said, welcome. It was a big joyous ending to this book. Welcome, welcome, welcome to your new... I'm thinking, okay, that's nice. Whatever that means, that's nice. And then I was channeling at the Esalen Institute shortly after that book was done. And at the end of a workshop, they invited everybody to the upper room. And I realized that's what exists beyond that doorway. And now that's where they teach from. They say, that's where they teach us. They invite us there to be taught. They meet us there. It's an intermediary space. I understand that they operate at a higher level and they meet us where we can be met. And they say the upper room is the highest level we can align to while maintaining a body, while maintaining mm -hmm. form and the density of form. So they talk about it, yes, is the octave above this one. And they say it's from the upper room that one can experience what they call the kingdom. And they say the kingdom is the awareness of the inherent divine that exists in all manifestation. I mean, they say it again and again and again. You can't make anything holy. It already is. But you can deny the divinity in anything. And then that becomes your experience of it. And our collective denial of the divinity is what's informing our reality. You know, how we understand matter, how we understand the body, how we understand each other. And so much of what we seem to have done seems to be about claiming separation from the one beside us, from the source of all things. I mean, that's what we've chosen, I understand. And we learn mm -hmm. 
through that as much as we want. The guides say you can learn through blowing yourselves the kingdom come if you want to. There's no judgment there. But there are other ways to learn and higher ways to learn. Mm-hmm. Separation is a really key factor in that, I think. A lot of people get caught up in, and it, me, me included. It's something that I really work on. Is a, I'm very much into Hinduism, and, and a lot of what you've touched on here, it kind of reminds me of certain aspects of Hinduism. Mm-hmm. For instance, uh, you had mentioned that everything is basically expanded out and connected in a way. It reminds me of Indra's net from Hinduism, which is to say that everything is connected in a, in a web, mm-hmm. and each individual is a tiny jewel on the web. And it's all interconnected, intertwined. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, in, in Hinduism, Hanuman, the archetype, is basically a servant of Ram, but he is also one with Ram. So mm-hmm. a, a saying that really resonates with me is, when I don't know who I am, I serve you. When I know who I am, I am you. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's very much uh, caught in that in-between process of not quite knowing who one is. But in that case, serve, 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 until the realization comes that you are serving yourself and doing so. Mm-hmm. It sounds great. I mean, everything that you just said is in accord with what the guides teach. I've come to believe at this point that what is true is always true. It doesn't matter what system it comes through. Right. Yeah. I'd say at the basis of all religions, there's one truth, you yeah. know, and in a lot of ways misconstrued and corrupted, you know, by institution. You know, mm-hmm. truth of the, the, the inherent truth be, what, behind what then becomes a religion, they say, is, is generally one, one truth, one source being, again, articulated in different ways. So, you know, I was raised sort of an atheist. So I read, I think, the Houston Smith World Religion book, you know, one year. And that was, that's the extent of it. And I think I read the Bhagavad Gita and that was about it. And I read the New Testament, most of it, at one point. And I'm not well-versed in, you know, the religions of the world or, or systems of mysticism. And I, I do hear and agree that perhaps what the guides are teaching is mysticism, you know, and there tends to be a mystical sect in all of the religions that are teaching a kind of realization mm-hmm. you know, beyond sort of pro forma, you know, this is what you should do stuff. Mm-hmm. What really, what really grabs me about what you speak in your book, uh, a lot of what you do, is that rooted in truth, in, in that religion aside, everything aside, it speaks to me in a way that it's very truthful, and uh, it sounds like something that's more real. It has a, a firm foundation to me. Of all my research and all the religious texts, everything I've studied, when you speak, it, it, it's very truthful. I don't know how else to describe it, but it speaks to me in such a way because I, it's, um, I don't necessarily have guides to the extent of, of what you, you know, uh, deal with, but I, I do kind of, I can look inward, I can go inward, and I can feel that intuitive, you know, feeling within me of, is this truthful? Is this, you know, in something that's solid, as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, watching the Kardashians on TV and all this other stuff, which is just delusion and confusion. Mm-hmm. But um, when you speak it, there's something just so truthful about it. It just resonates with me and, and lots of other people, I'm sure. And I think it comes from that place of, of you don't necessarily have those hangups or those ties in these religious texts and you don't have to cite this or that or this or that. You can say something in simple terms, but it can, it can break right through. And I, I'm also a huge proponent of, uh, of Zen practices mm-hmm. where I believe in spontaneous enlightenment. And I think that what you do helps guide people in that direction because I do believe that they can just get a, a knock on the head and things can start to open up for them. And even just like much like a ship, a big, a big ship in an ocean, they can make a little adjustment of course mm-hmm. and yield exponential, exponentially amazing results for themselves down the road uh, in terms of their willingness to open up and release separation, release fear and start mm-hmm. to really acknowledge their own inner divinity. So mm-hmm. just want to take the moment to just say thank you for everything you do in that sense, religious, religion aside. And I know in previous interviews you've mentioned you're not too into the science stuff and the guides might, you know, start spitting some science to you. Um, you know, I don't think any of it's entirely necessary. The, the message you communicate is very clear and very precise. And, uh, and I think it gets through to people. I'm glad. I mean, it's their message. You know, when I parrot it, when I try to interpret it for other people, I do my best, you mm-hmm. know, but really what I'm doing is saying what's been said, you know, by them in the books and, you know, in lectures and, and, you know, that's just, that's all I know how to do. 
is show up at that level. And that much I can do and I can do it in my integrity. And that's very important to me. I'm not a spiritual teacher. You know, I don't really want to be. It's not my thing. And I'm certainly not a guru. I'm a good radio. And I feel that my, my abilities have been refined through the doing of this, through practice over years and maybe lifetimes, but that's not for me to know really, you know. But they say, again, what is true is always true. And when they invite us to say, I know who I am in truth, I know what I am in truth, I know how I serve in truth, they're actually, <coughs> pardon me, you know, getting rid of the ideas of what those things should be. You know, all those should, I should be evolved, I should be enlightened. I know who I am in truth, the true self as you does know, and isn't seeking confirmation, you know, from others, you know, so... Mm -hmm. And I notice isn't really on an, uh, any sort of timeline. It's just very patient, very willing for the ego to just take its time, run through the motions it needs to, play whatever game it needs to, in order to then realize itself within the higher self, say. You know, I wish it was more graceful. I wish it was quicker for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I rail some days. Yeah, me like, too. Me too. And, uh, you know, but, you know, when I, I'll just say this, I don't know why I'm thinking about this. When I was about maybe 30, 29, it's in a really rough time, a really rough time. And um, I prayed and I was praying on it again, you know. And after uh, a few days of that, I woke up one morning and the pain was gone. It was gone. It was really gone. It was a trip. And I was really broke. I was like 45 cents to my name or something in New York City, which is not easy. And I remember for about three days walking around and knowing, and I mean really knowing that I was exactly where I was supposed to be. And so was everybody else. It was a trip. Hmm. It was like watching this perfect dance. I never forgot it, but it was a sense of, of the presence of God that I'd never had, or the presence of something, I called it God, but some kind of inherent perfection to it all, even the stuff that looked awful was sort of perfect. And I hope that that's, you know, maybe that, maybe that was a glimpse of something, some other way of being in operation. But, you know, when I was in that place, there was no thinking. It was just experiential. It was just knowing, you know, and the guides do teach knowing, you know. I would love a little bit more of that, you know, these days, you know. I, in some ways, you know, this work that I do now, I mean, it was my personal practice and you could call it my hobby for 18 years when I had people come over once a week and I would set up chairs. And then the next day I would go to NYU and teach. And forget it, you know, I would basically, I was having a separate life as a medium that was, I wasn't trying to get known for at all. And now it's my work and it's what I do. And I show up all the time, mostly and often when I don't really want to, I show up because it's my job and I'm respectful to people who show up to be with the guides. But the idea of sort of just being at that level of knowing and that level of connection is unlike anything I've ever experienced. And I suspect it's what still drives me. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I it's, it's like you glimpsed through that window of, of the new earth, of heaven on earth, basically, and, and that permeating through everything, really. It's, it is, I have that vision as well, and I have the vision of everyone in that picture becoming realized of this same new mm -hmm. earth. You know, all these people realizing that this is the new default setting. Let's turn the knob and let's turn it to this to this resonance or this octave or frequency and let's set it there as our new baseline. Because I find that the baseline has been brought down over, you know, centuries and centuries. And, and your work and part of a lot of what the work of people online in, in the space do is help bring that back up to a space, to a place where people can then realize that this is the naturalness of... of you know, I, I actually did an interview with Lama Suryadas. He's a Tibetan um, Buddhist uh, type of monk, Lama. And they speak of Dzogchen meditation, which is embracing the natural great perfection of it all, which is that you can go out, you look at the skies, and you, ah, it's perfect. Yeah. You look, at, you look at the dirt and the mud, ah, perfect. Ah, everything, perfect. 
just embracing it and taking it all in. You know, you stub your toe on, on the ground or on, on, a, on a stool. It's perfect. It's all perfect. And it was meant to happen in, in that certain way that it did. And it's, it's our ability to realize this perfection that allows us to absorb the necessary information that I like to call soul food in a way. It feeds it back, sends it back to the soul. And I think this is what is part of the reason for our purpose. Correct me if I'm wrong from your understanding, but part of the reason of our purpose is to come to this realization, is to send that information back to the soul and then really live our, our lives in a way that helps guide others to do the same to show them that this is a way of being, a potential way of being, that you don't have to be down here, that you can lift yourself up. And it's, it's purely done by decision and, and a willingness to do so. I agree with everything you just said. I really do. And it's refreshing for me to hear it, you know. I mean, and I'm, I'm always so happy when people that are younger are knowing this stuff, you know, and, and able to share it, because I think that's how the world gets to change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, you're, you know, what, everything that you're saying, I'm, I'm in accord with, and it's what the guides do teach, you know, it's so much of it's about perception and witness. And they say, you know, how we see anything informs what we see, the level of consciousness that we hold anything in is creative. You know, it goes back to the simple idea what you bless blesses you in return. You know, what you damn damns you back, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what you just described in that meditation, ah, you know, the perfection of the sky is again the blessing. It's the, you know, and the guys have said, you know, to bless anything is to realize the presence of God there. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's all it really, that's all the blessing is. Mm-hmm. And I find a lot of people have difficulty with that. I mean, even just through social media, sometimes I'll put up posts on, on my podcast, Instagram, and it's just to, to remind people, and then sometimes people will comment and say, well, life is kicking me around, and this and that. how can I be grateful? How can I express gratitude? I feel like the starting point is with the most simplest thing, your breath, the fact that you can wake up, the fact that you open your eyes and then experience that natural great perfection, that you inhalate and take a breath. Mm-hmm. This is like the breath is love, and it's, it's free. You know, you can have it at any time, and it, it's rejuvenating, it's healing. So I think that a lot of people that get caught in their inability to have and express gratitude, mm-hmm. it's just because they're not, I think they're setting a bar too high for what their expectation is. And I think it's a lot and tied into it with matter and less to do with, you know, non-physical elements. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, cause I, I'm challenged by all these things and I think a lot of what I'm challenged by are my ideas of who I am mm-hmm. project outward and how the world should be. So I was, you know, the chubby gay kid who was bullied, you know, in junior high school. So, you know, I have those memories in my body of what it's like to be shamed or, you know, reviled or exiled. You know, so they're, they're awful feelings. Mm-hmm. And you grow up and you project them elsewhere, you know, and these become our opportunities to grow, you know. But having to look at these things, having to address these things isn't people, you know, it's not necessarily fun. Yeah. But yeah. there's parts of ourselves I suspect that have been held in shadow, you know, and those are the things that at this time we're being invited to bring forth, to be reclaimed in a higher way, because I can't do it, you know, for somebody else if I can't do it for myself. I mean, it's easy. That's very, it's actually not true. It's easier for me to look at you and see the divine in you and the perfection in you at times than it is in myself. It's easier to see the divine in a tree than my upstairs neighbor who makes all that noise. Do you know what I mean? It's easier mm-hmm. in yeah. some ways. But until I'm able to claim the presence of the divine in all things, I'm going to be operating in a bit of a schism, you know, yeah. and, you know, claim, playing the game of separation. Mm-hmm. And do you personally have any sort of practice that you employ where you'll release that, those, those feelings? Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I'll take a five-minute meditation if I need to, and I'll try to surrender those to that inner inner divinity, if you want to call it. Because every time I do, first of all, my inner divinity, let's say, is almost as if, what are you even offering me? There's nothing even there to surrender. It's mm-hmm. almost like it doesn't even exist, or it's not even it's not even valid. You know, but yeah. then, and it'll say, okay, we'll play that game. You want to su- surrender something? What do you got for me? So I give it up. 
it mm -hmm. dissolves, it dissolves. Everything just eradicates and dissolves, almost like the radiant sun just disintegrating everything I, I offer it up. But this radiance is just sheer love and compassion. So it's just like whenever I feel that way, and I do get caught often, I'll, I'll take these meditation times to try and surrender that because I know that from an ego stance, it all seems so clustered and complicated. But from yeah. that soul plane, it's it's just like that and meaningless. It's it's nothing. It's like a, a speck of dust flying in the wind. So do you have any practice that you employ that, that helps you through those times? I mean, yes, because I'm always working, you know, so I'm yeah. always channeling. So I'm always running the energy. But mm -hmm. you know, running the energy is also, you know, like continually pouring clean water in and lifting the silt that's at the bottom. Um, I think I could have a better practice if I want to sort of judge myself or how I operate. I mean, because what you say, you know, I agree with the true self is unafraid. The true self doesn't hold these things. And everything the guides are teaching is about that level of alignment and going into that level of agreement to who you are where these things don't express in the same way. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I do what you do. I sit in a chair and I breathe it. You know, mm -hmm. in the chair, and I go back to the center of my being. Um, you know, and that's my process, but, you know, just who I am and how I express, and I'm learning all my lessons through, you know, where I seem to stand in the way of myself still. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great way to put it, standing in the way of yourself, yeah. Um, so I, want, I just have some questions about the guides in particular. So... If people aren't familiar with, with your work and they're not quite understanding what the guides are exactly, how, how would you best describe them? Is it, is it energy? or um, I, know, I know in one uh, episode of a podcast you describe them as being somewhat closely tied with Earth, with sort of Earth-type Earth of energies. Mm -hmm. Not Earth energies. I mean, I, that I don't recall, but it's possible. Okay. Um, I, I, I perceive them as teachers. They've said they're teachers. My favorite definition that they've given is that they are who we become when we know who we are. Okay. At times they've called themselves the true self, you know, the embodiment of the true self, which is another way of saying the Christ and the guide's definition of Christ is the aspect of the creator that can be realized in material form. The name that they've given, when they've given a name, has been the name Melchizedek, and I've heard that a long time. It's an old name, and it's a priesthood of teachers, really. So, you know, that's my experience of them. I hear, I'm primarily clairaudient. There's, you know, one or two that I've seen. The one that I see the most comes through in a very specific way. And if I had a better meditation practice, I'd probably see him more than I do. But when I do sit, that's when he shows, or if I'm hypnotized, you know, if somebody takes me under, I can go there pretty quickly. Um, but, you know, they come through in a very loving way. And I have to say they're very good teachers. And they're extraordinarily patient with me in this process. Um, I mean, I show up, they show up, the dictation happens, it's transcribed. The, the, the videotapes are sent right off to the transcriptionist now and typed up. And, you know, the compiled teachings for what they say, this isn't a book, this isn't a book, this isn't a book, you know, becomes a book. And that's our agreement. So it's a collective of teachers, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. Okay. And have you ever listened to or heard of the Seth materials by any chance, going back to 1970? I mean, there's been a lot of different channelers over the years, but this one in particular stands out. Yeah, she does stand out. When I was at Yale, and my I think it was in my first year, maybe my second year there, and I was a big partier in those days. I don't know how I ended up with um, a Seth book, but I did. Mm. Read half of it. I didn't finish it. It actually left a big imprint on me. I know that it did. And that's it. That's my experience. Somebody online posts Seth quotes, and I actually look at those because I find them. I, I think she was an extraordinary channel. Um, I, I've seen a couple of clips of her channeling, um, and this is Jane Roberts, who was the channel for Seth. And I, well, the moment I saw it, I recognized it, because for me, channeling is a very physical process. You know, it's not terribly graceful. It's not terribly attractive. Once in a while, I'll see somebody rolling through my feed who's channeling, and it's kind of, you know, it's very graceful, and 
pretty and flowy and all those things. For me, it's womp. This thing happens, you know, it's very physical. I've been told, I haven't seen it, but I've heard it for years that my eyes turn bright blue when I work, you know, and it's, just, it's some phenomena that seems associated with this. But I, I think that she's extraordinary. And there was an extraordinary amount of work. I actually, unfortunately, I think for me, don't read other channeled work. I just mm -hmm. don't want to know it, you know? And the reason is I want to keep this kind of clean. Yeah. So I buy books, but I don't read them. I've never read Eckhart Tolle. I've never read, I buy everybody's stuff and it sits on the shelf. And I guess, you know, if there comes a time when they stop taking dictation, you know, through me, when they stop doing that, I'll get to read everybody I want to, you know, and maybe, mm -hmm. maybe help through that. But for the time being, I kind of feel the need to keep it all separate. Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I only bring it up because I, I did read and even listen to the, the Seth Materials book. And a lot of what, when you're doing your channeling, a lot of what's being communicated is very much in line to what's being communicated in the Seth book as well. So I just found it uh, to be really interesting because it seemed to be coming from the same place with the same intention of uh, uplifting humanity, of increasing and raising the, the octave of humanity. Different verbiage was used in, in the Seth materials versus what you will use, but um, it all had a very similar tone, which I, I thought was really interesting. Uh, and it just reinforced that aspect of, of your work, of it being in truth that I had mentioned earlier. And it kind of really resonated with me in that way because I felt the same with, with her book. Mm -hmm. um, and I do know what you mean about some channelers. They, it's uh, some of them on YouTube, they look so glamorous in what they're doing. And I, you almost question those like, hmm, okay, is this like being set up or something? Because yeah, I don't imagine it would be, um, you know, that, that well orchestrated in a way. It would be just more naturally flowing through however it does, you know. It's, you know, channeling is a funny thing. I mean, it really is still, after all these years, like standing at the edge of a diving board and hoping yeah. that there's water in the pool. Uh -huh. And, you know, my fear when I was first starting to do groups, and this was when I was in my, my early 30s, you know, immediately people were showing up for this thing because the energy was really palpable and the energy is exciting and it's still palpable when, when the guides come through. But I was terrified every time that nothing was going to happen and I felt... You know, you're too young, I think, but there used to be this game of telephone where you had a tin can with a string. Yeah. Somebody yeah. would speak into the other end. And I used to feel like I was sitting there with my tin can hoping that somebody was going to pick up the other one or I'd have to let <laughs> everybody home. And finally, one day, not finally, but, you know, and in that period, I heard the guide say, do we have permission to merge? And I felt this, you know, rush of energy when I said yes. And since then, I don't feel like I'm going someplace else. I, I feel that the connection is just present, is needed. So I don't have that fear anymore. But it's not, I mean, honestly, I sit down, I close my eyes, the guides give a lecture and they say, and this is the introduction to the new book and this is the title. And I go, oh, crap. Because, you know, I don't get to change anything. And I know that for the next month or so of workshops, every time they sit down in front of people, they're going to be dictating something. And the books are, I just don't know what they are until they come through. So it's, a, it's an unnerving process. I would like to look better doing it, but I don't know if I have any choice in that. And I really don't think the guides could care yeah. less about that stuff exactly i was about to say i don't think it's even relevant at all it's like the message is the only thing that's relevant if people are getting caught up in between they'll work through it and get past that i'm sure um so i wanted to ask you um what would you suggest for someone as a first step towards getting over their ego or personality self so it's towards releasing that and just embracing the fact that there is something beyond what they've learned to this point and even beyond what they've learned to this point but what their parents have what their grandparents great grandparents have learned to this point i think you've answered it i and it's what i'm actually hearing and i heard it as you were saying it which is really interesting but it's allowing that there is more it's allowing for the possibility that there is more that's the first step you know, the guides say you can't claim anything until it's first a possibility. It's just not, you just won't, you won't do it. Um, let me ask them. I'm going to go to the guides, you know, and see sure. if I can. So what, like, what would, what's the first step for somebody who wants to open up? What 
willingness is key. Willingness is key and also authorization. And also authorization, nobody's will, nobody's will will be overridden in this way, in this way. You have to give permission. You have to give permission at a level, at a level to agree to the source of your being, to agree to the source of your being. You can move into Congress with it and to move into Congress with it. It's present now. It's present now, but you operate in separation. But you operate in separation, which is simply a belief, which is simply a belief that in fact you are separate, but in fact you are separate. Indeed, you are not. Indeed, you are not, but your experience on this collective plane, but your experience on this collective plane is indeed informed by the idea of separation, is indeed informed by the idea of separation. Say, I'm willing to say I am willing and I get permission and I give permission to know myself in a new way, to know myself in a new way, to connect with the source of my being, to connect with the source of my being, puts everything in motion, puts everything in motion. You have ability, you see. You have ability, you see. All of you do, all of you do, to be receptive to source, to be receptive to source. And the moment you say yes, and the moment you say yes, you go into an agreement with this potential is, you go into an agreement with what this potential is, with what this potential is, period. The same period. Mm-hmm, hmm So I, when, I, when I really consider that and contemplate it, I feel that that potential is all there is. I feel like when we're in this form, and you know we're having these communications and we're, we're getting the, the illusion of separateness, it reminds me of a quote that goes, the dreamer dreams and the dreamer within the dream dreams. Mm-hmm. So I feel as if we take these forms and we, we take upon the separation, but it, it's, it's almost like it's, it has to be done. But it's like we have to break free of that and then realize that higher self. And I, I want to ask you, and perhaps even the guides, but is it so that that higher self may have an idea, a general idea of the direction of the life of the, of the personality and the individual? So from I, birth and, you know. Well, my sense is that that's happening at a soul level. I mean, the soul does know and has its choices and, you know, its agreements, what it needs to learn. The true self, what I understand to be the true self, or they call it the monad or the eternal self or the indwelling Christ, there's lots of names they call it. Um, that self, I, I suspect, seeks realization through us, mm-hmm. and everything is utilized towards that. So I, and I don't know how this system fits into other systems, but I understand that the true self or the divine self is illumining the soul, is bringing its inherent divinity into a level of, of accord with the physical body and the subtle bodies as well, which sort of comprise the entire entity. So that's my understanding of how this happens, but I do feel that we come with things that we agree to and that we're choosing to learn. Yeah, that's what I'm really so wondering. The souls mm-hmm. and authority here, yeah. I think there are lessons we take on. Not all of them are pleasant or what we would choose at a level of personality, but perhaps there are things to learn through. I mean, you know, the guides have said things like, you know, the the millionaire and the beggar are both learning lessons of abundance just in different ways. And it's you who make one higher than the next, which is our projection of what one should be or how one should be in the world and our, our values about things like that. So everything, again, becomes opportunity to learn. You know, mm-hmm. we just have our preferences for how these things should happen. Mm-hmm. So I just get a sense that it's almost as if we each have our calling and we just need to step out of the way in order to align to that calling, just yeah. as your calling is. And, and I feel like in a, lot, in a lot of cases, and you'll probably relate to this, but it's like you're in a very fast moving stream. And though the personality or the ego may not want to move with the flow of that stream, it's moving. So whether you kick or scream or move around, you're going with it. So I feel that that's what that calling really is, that purpose. So even if you aren't, you know, for your particular case, if you're doing a reading or a channeling, maybe you're not feeling up to it that day, you're in the stream. So you're going in that direction regardless. Now it's up to you if you want to release any attachments or hangups that are preventing you to to flow freely. Um, Is that the case? Well, the guides use this claim, I know how I serve. I know who I am, I know what I am, I know how I serve. And they say the claim, I know how I serve, is made again by the true self that indeed knows what it's Mm -hmm. here for. But they say, you know, how one serves is how one is most fully expressed as the true self. And we live in a culture where we tend to think it's about what we do. You know, like I'm a this, I'm a that, this is my career. And I don't know that it's about that. I mean, the, the example that I use sometimes, 
um, I, I read for a mutual friend. I read for a friend. I was reading for a friend about another friend, my friend Brent. And Brent is like, you know, six foot three, and he's a big guy. And he's got, you know, like Paul Bunyan, you know. And I tuned into Brent, and he showed up walking down a country road at night going, what am I here for? What am I here for? What am I here for? And there was a big tree that had fallen across the path in front of him because he's strong. He was able to bend down, pick up the tree, toss it off the side of the road, and then went back to what am I here for? What am I here for? What am I here for? He was there to move the tree. And moving the tree in his path, he actually made it accessible to everybody coming behind him. But he was looking for the big thing, you know? When I look back in my life, this isn't what I expected to be doing, truthfully, ever, you know? Um, there are days I wake up and I don't know how this happened, but I knew it. But in a lot of ways, I was prepared for this. You know, when I taught college about 10 years before I stopped, which was maybe four or five years ago, I became unable to work with lecture notes. I just couldn't have them. I just had to sit there and let it come. And I got used to sitting in front of people and stepping out of the way. Now, that was inspiration. That wasn't channel. Channel, I make a distinction between the two. When I was a playwright, when I was younger, it was about tuning in and becoming other people. You understand that? And I, I, I didn't know what a trance is, but I used to induce trance. I used to put one piece of music on a loop for hours and just sit there and, and type. And when I look back at these things, they were preparatory in some ways for the work that I do. My system was being appropriated or acclimated or my, perhaps my innate skill set or things that I've done in prior incarnations. I don't know, you know. But I do think, and I do actually, I know this, nothing is wasted. Nothing that anybody does or goes through is wasted. It's all part of this trajectory. And I do think service gets conflated with career in our culture. Yeah. And I don't think it needs to be. You know, what, you know, in one of the books, there's a, we did some, we included some Q&As from a live stream where the guides dictated a chunk of the book. And this woman said, you know, I drive a school bus and I bless the kids when they get on the bus. And, you know, I claim I am word through the bus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what for? How do I serve? And she was like, well, you're doing it. You know what I mean? And I thought, boy, if I had that woman as my bus driver in junior high school, I might have, would have had a much better time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be that aware and that uh, tuned in for sure. Yeah. yeah. Most people are not. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, that's the same thing as when I... Um, when I see the garbage man go by, you know, I like I, I see that person and I think, wow, you know, this person is serving in a way. I hope they understand to the extent that they're serving, you know, even how minuscule the task is or the mailman or whatever it may be. You know, I gave my mailman um, at my last house, I gave him a, a Christmas gift. He was just so blown away. He's like, no one's ever given me a Christmas gift. I was blown away. No one's ever given him a Christmas gift, you know, like. To, to have that appreciation for this sim seemingly simple mundane task of dropping off the mail, it's like that person is doing a great amount of servitude on a daily basis without question. And uh, I think people need to pat themselves on the back a lot more uh, for the work they do, even if it's as, as simple as dropping off the mail or whatever it may be. I think a lot of people don't really give themselves the credit they deserve. Mm -hmm. uh, so I want to ask you, where do you think things are going within the next few years for humanity based on your experience and and just the consistency of these books being released and, and you being delved down deep into the community and seeing all these like really um, eager people, you know, lots of very eager, willing souls to just, they, they, it's like they crave that, that connection, that openness, that, that willingness to relinquish and release fear. They just don't know how to do it in some cases, but it, the willingness is certainly there. So where do you see things going? I mean, I know what the guides have said, and they said this in the very first book, which was called I Am the Word, which they dictated in 2009. I think it was published in 2010. And they said, you know, humanity is at a time of reckoning. And they say a reckoning is a facing of oneself and all of one's creations. And everything that's been created in fear needs to be renowned in a higher way. And that includes, you know, parts of ourselves, but certainly, you know, what we claim culturally and as a world. Um, a couple of years ago, three, right before the last presidential election, they dictated this book called The Book of Truth. And they said, you know, in truth, a lie will not be held. And they say the energy of truth is here. And everything that's been buried is being 
unearthed. Mm. And if you look at your own lives and you say, imagine your backyard, you know, what you buried, what was buried there two weeks ago and 5,000 years ago is all coming up. And it doesn't look very pretty. You know, uh, it's an excavation site. But, you know, the reason these things come up is not to make them wrong or blame them or, you know, you know, denounce. It's to bring them to the light so that they can be re-known, re-seen, and transformed. That nothing gets healed when it's in shadow, when it's been hidden, you know. Mm -hmm. So I hear now... Um, that we're really at a crossroads, humanity. We have choices to make about how we wish to continue to learn. The guides have said, you know, we're going to make it. I've heard that. But I've also heard if we want to learn the cost of separation from blowing everybody up, we can do that. I mean, they said it in the first books, you know, bombs. The idea that we can build, they say you build bigger bombs so that you can stay safe. That's the most ridiculous thing they've ever heard. Bombs are not there to keep you safe. They're there to explode. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, these are all acts based in fear. So I am hugely, hugely pleased that people seem to be waking up in, in different ways. And you're speaking to people that I'll never speak to through your, through your, you know, broadcast. And you seem very aware of who you are and who others are, you know, and, and that's a gift you bring, you know, all we can do is show up as authentically as we can. And in an awareness of, you know, the divine in others, if we're able, or at least just the inherent right to be, that everybody holds. But God say you were born, you have a right to be, you know? So I think that there's great hope here. And I'm pleased that, you know, I look to the work that I do and I see, you know, younger people in the audience and they're great and they are aware and they are willing and people are opening up in different ways and different teachers appeal to different groups. And that's as it should be. You know, I'm not the only guy. There are people that will never read a channel book. And frankly, if somebody had given me one of the guide's books when I was in college, I would have thrown it across the room. You know, I wouldn't have had any patience for it at all. But I think that there's great opportunity here. And I also think that we're dealing in some ways with what the guides have called the last hurrah of separation. You know, the action of fear is to claim more fear. And we're being invited to it left, right, and sideways, personally and collectively. And it becomes an opportunity to move beyond it, I hope. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what they say, accurate. They're saying accurate. I'm going to go to them for a second because I'm, like, talking too much. And I'm going to let them say what they want to say about this. We want to say one thing. We want to say one thing, everybody born. Everybody born is going to realize themselves, is going to realize themselves at one level of vibration or at one level of vibration or another, the higher you climb. The higher you climb in escalation, in escalation, in field, in form, in field, in form, the higher the witness you bring to, the higher the witness you bring to all that you see, to all that you see, the one who sees from the mountaintop, the one who sees from the mountaintop can lift those in the valley, can lift those in the valley, the one who says, yes, you are allowed. The one who says, yes, you are allowed, welcomes everyone else up the mountain, welcomes everyone else up the mountain, the denial of the light. The denial of the light is not present, is not present at the high level of vibration, at the high level of vibration, as you are assumed there, as you are assumed there, as you are rearticulated that way, as you are rearticulated in that way, you become a beacon, you become a beacon, a light that lifts all, a light that lifts all by nature of presence, by nature of presence, period. And they're saying period. Mm, that's lovely. That's actually, I feel a very strong connection to that just in, in that being part of my purpose for being mm -hmm. to get up to the mountaintop and to help lift others. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that's really why I wanted to reach out to you and have this conversation. So I really appreciate you taking the time to, to do so. Um, did you have any closing thoughts for anyone that's listening to this? I know we covered a lot and I'll be including all of your books and resources uh, in, in the episode description. I mean, I don't as Paul, you know, I'm happy that people are listening. I've enjoyed this conversation very much. Um, let me see if they want to say anything in closing. They're saying, know who you are, know what you are, know how you serve. 
please. They're saying do it, please. So this is the attunement. I'll do it with you. Or sure, I'd love to. Sure, I do it or they do it. They'll, they'll do it. So they're saying you can say this after us. I know who I am in truth. I know who I am in truth. I know what I am in truth. I know what I am in truth. I know how I serve in truth. I know how I serve in truth. I am free. 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 And they're saying blessings to you each. Okay. So we'll do it. Thank you very much. Blessings to blessings to everyone listening to this and everyone watching. And uh, I hope anyone that is curious about channeling or Paul's work or the guides checks out the links in the description. And um, Paul, thank you again so much for coming on. Uh, I'll put all of your social media stuff in, in the description as well. So you don't have to list it all off, but I really do appreciate it. And, and I hope we have another chat sometime soon. It was, it's really been great. I do too. Thank you for having me. Thank you.